All right. Hello, everybody. Really, really good to see us. So uh, whether you are here at our legacy campus where this platform is, one of our other campuses in Dallas or maybe San Antonio. I was there last week with our San Antonio campus. So cool. Please be continue just to pray for all of our campuses. But but that one is it reaches a whole new uh, city for us. And if you know people in that area, uh, let them know about it. And of course, uh, most of you listening right now are watching or watching online wherever you are and uh, and wherever you are. Again, we're just really glad that you are here. And today uh, we're talking about a topic you just heard about it. It's great to have a great bass player, right? And uh, especially for that song, as we we are talking about money, and uh, which is not always the easiest topic to talk about, but one of the most important topics to talk about and to get right. It really is an area of life that pervades all of it. That's why Jesus talked more about that topic than any other single topic. One out of every 10 verses that are him speaking, uh, he was talking about money. Um, about half of the parables that he taught were about the same topic, again, because it is such a big area of life. And it's part of this series that we're in called Game Changer about a game changing reality that once you understand it really changes everything about how you think about life. And really, life is full of those kind of aha moments where time to time we kind of have this realization that's like, oh, that's why that is, or, oh, that's the way I'm supposed to do things, or, oh, that's the, you know, just kind of, things just kind of make sense a little bit. And and I was thinking back in my own life of, of times like that, and the one that popped into my mind was all the way back to fourth grade. Because I remember in fourth grade, girls started going crazy. Like, really, girls got all of a sudden really weird and goofy and and uh, and I didn't understand what was going on. And I remember I don't remember exactly what happened, but I was, we were on the playground and in this girl, fourth girl did something. And I responded in a way like she I don't know, she pushed me or did something. But and I responded in a way that made her cry. And I didn't understand why that would make her cry. And and I just did it again. And a friend of mine, just one of these things you remember, a friend of mine named Louise. Does that sound like a good Alabama name? Uh, Louise came over to me and she was like, you big dummy. And I was like, what? And said, she likes you. And what you did just hurt her feelings. And as a fourth grade boy, I was like, likes me. I mean, why wouldn't she like? I mean, I like her too. Like, what are you talking about? It took me about a year in fifth grade to think, oh, that's what liking people means, because I started liking girls. I said, you know, it's like, oh, that's it. But I just it's just one of those times you remember and you think, oh, wow, that's the way the world is or that's the way the world works. That's a big realization like romance and romantic feelings and all that kind of stuff. But what we're talking about in this series, even more pervasive, even more significant, because what we're talking about in the Game Changer series is game changing realization is the basic idea that your life is not your own. You're not an owner of all that you have, but a manager of it. That's not just true of money. That's true of everything. And once we realize that that everything I have is what Christians call a stewardship from God, meaning our our time, our gifts and abilities, our influence that we have at work, our relationships, our, our resources, our possessions, everything we have is not ours. It's God's. And he gives that to us, not just to bury, as we talked about last week. Ryan did such a great job introducing the series. If you missed it, go back and watch it. Not just to bury it, 
not just to spend it, not just to let it fly away, but to be intentional with everything we've been given uh, because it's ours to invest because it's not ours. It's God. And one day God will call on his account for those of us who know Jesus will be rewarded for all eternity or not based on what we've done with what we have. And so this really is a big, big part of life to get right. And that's true, certainly of our financial resources and of our money. Once we realize it's not our money, it's his given not just to bury, not just to let it fly, not just to be loose with, but to be intentional with. And I remember when I was in college, that was another aha moment as related to this part of life of money and not just being loose with money. But it, and it was I, I was uh, is my second or third year of college. I spent the summer in uh, Wheaton, Illinois, at Wheaton College doing a study program on uh, on theological issues in Eastern Europe, because uh, I had spent time in Eastern Europe already. Communism was the deal there then. It was before the Iron Curtain fell. And I was planning to go back and, and be part of, you know, maybe be a missionary there, do different things. So I was taking this course with somebody who I'd never met, but was a hero of mine. His name is Joseph Sohn, who was one of the key leaders in that era of communism. He had been deported uh, because of his faith from the country. Uh, before that, he had been in prison many times for his faith. Uh, Romania was a high persecution country. He'd been beaten for his faith. He'd been tortured. Uh, all kinds of things that happened to him. But it's always he was a hero of mine. Right. So um, I had the opportunity to take him to lunch. We went to this diner and had a great time. At the, he's a very serious guy. And at the end of the dinner or at the end of the lunch, I paid with cash and they gave me change, including a couple pennies. And I dropped one of the pennies. So it was like all these booths. So I dropped one of the pennies and went under our booth and rolled under the booth in front of us. It was full of people under their feet. And I remember saying, oh, well, so much for that penny. And he looked at me, put his finger like that. And he said, God will hold you accountable for every single penny. And I was like, whoa. Okay, and so I'm, I, I decided, well, I'm not going to just let it go then. So I just, oh, yeah, I was just kidding about letting it go. So I go underneath the booth in front of me, you know, and I'm pushing people's feet away, trying to dig under that nasty stuff for that penny. And I found the penny. I have no idea what happened to it after that, but I was going to find it, and I did find it. But that was one of those moments it was like, okay, I think I'm being a little loose and free. Now, looking back, I would say Brother Joseph was a little bit uptight. You know, I don't think we have to be that uptight about it. But for me, it is so easy to be loose with money. It's so easy just to kind of let it fly. And that's why it's so easy to get in money trouble, because we don't really manage it. We just kind of let it fly. Even if you have more than enough, so you don't really have to worry about budgeting or you're not going to get in financial trouble because enough comes in that you can just kind of it just spend it and it goes. That's really not the way any of us want to roll, right? I mean, I think most of us really do want to make a difference with our money. And we realize it's not our money, but God's money. Well, that's a game changer. I mean, it's like this past week, uh, my one of my uh, well, my financial planner called and said, hey, we need to have a meeting. And I never liked doing that. But we need to because he tells me things I don't want to hear. Um, but he says, you know, we need to have a meeting and all. That. And I was like, OK. Uh, but when we have that meeting, we scheduled it. I want him to remember that it's not his money. Right. It's not just his money to go spend or buy his kids braces or go on a vacation. Like it's money for him to invest for 
our future, right? Not his future, but our future. Like it's money I'm giving him to invest. It's my money, but really it's God's money. And every dollar we have is not ours. It's his to invest, to enjoy. And how do we do that well? And that's what we're going to talk about today is really the invest part. And even if you're not a Jesus follower, um, I mean, I know that you're at a church like this. It does a lot of good in the community, my guess, because uh, because you you want to do good with your life, right? You you want to live with an investment mentality, not just a spend mentality, meaning to be not just driven by consumerism in your financial life, but be driven by generosity. That's a value because we all know that a consumer driven life is just kind of gross. I mean, you end up just living life for the next thing, next thing, next thing that is destined for garage sales anyway. And then at the end of life, that just kind of leads to nowhere. I mean, all of us really do want to make a difference with our life. I think most of us would say, yeah, well, I'd rather be generosity driven in my life than just consumption driven in my life. That's a value. We all have a value of generosity, but there's a big difference between valuing it and implementing that value. It's really easy to be pretty sloppy in the implementation of that. And the Bible is going to help us to say, hey, let's not be sloppy. Let's let's be intentional with this. And for those of us who are Jesus followers, this is a really big deal. He talked about it a lot. And it's one of those areas that if we're going to follow Jesus, then we're going to obey him in this area of life. We're going to honor him in this area of life. And when you follow Jesus, he leads to a whole better way. One that leads to peace, so one that leads to joy, one that, you know, and one that leads to freedom. And so today we're going to talk about money, but not from like a general management perspective. The Bible has a lot to share about that. You know, if you've been around Chase Oaks, the way we summarize that is give, save, live, three buckets. A lot of, you know, you maybe have heard 10, 10, 80 as a baseline, 10%, 10%, 80%, meaning don't live on more than you make, which is a typical American thing. We go into debt. Don't do that. Live on less than you make. 80% or whatever the percent you choose. And you say, I'm going to give, I'm going to save for the future. I'm going to be wise. The Bible talks about that. And I'm going to live on the rest. That's a great thing to talk about. But we're just going to focus on the invest part. We're just going to focus on the give part to say, hey, if I'm going to be generosity driven and I'm going to be intentional in that area of my life, what would guide my generosity if I want to really become that kind of person? And the good news is the Bible has a lot to share about how to be that kind of person. So that's what we're going to look at. I mean, it's really interesting. Such a big deal. Jesus talked about it a lot. But, you know, there's 500 verses in the Bible on faith, which faith is a big deal. Two thousand on what we're talking about today on money, because it's just that big of a deal. So if we're going to build a financial plan if we're, that, that has generosity at the center, what does that look like? Well, there's a bunch of passages, 2000 of them, but we're going to start with one. And that's 1 Corinthians 16. And what we're going to see is three P's that kind of guide a, 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 an approach. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16 one says, now about the collection for God's people. This is Paul talking to the church, just like our church. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside, set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Three P's. Planned, we're going to see. Percentage or priority and percentage plan, priority, percentage. So the first part is plan. He says on the first day of every week. Now, that's when they gathered for church. We still do that. Uh, you know, we have Friday night services and Saturday night services, campus campuses. But we also have Sundays. So they gathered on Sunday. They gathered the first day of every week. So he's talking about the gathering. 
And for 2000 years, that's been something that Christians are called to do to do what we're doing right now. And that is to gather together. And so he says, when you come to the gathering, you come prepared to give, come with generosity in mind, meaning have a plan. It's not just haphazard. It's not just sporadic. It's not just, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, let's see what I got. It's no come with a plan, meaning to have a budget, have a plan of spending money that includes a generosity plan that you know what you're doing. It's not just sporadic. Now, sporadic giving is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, Americans are really, really good at spontaneous generosity. And I mean, better than most other countries in the world. And we're known for that. And it's really cool. Like when there's some kind of disaster anywhere around the world, Americans will be like, man, I want to do something. I want to give to that, which is awesome. Or we watch, you know, you ever watch TV, uh, especially late at night, it seems like. And you see those dogs that are cold and chained up and they're shivering and, and, and it goes on and on. And I always wonder, like, who's filming this so long? Like, help the dog. Like, why are you just filming it? Like, just unchain the dog. Feed the dog, put a blanket on the dog, whatever. But, you know, and I guess they're wanting you to feel that way. So you're like, yeah, we'll do that if you give money. And you're like, OK, I'll give money because I don't want dogs looking like I, mean, I want dogs to be happy. So I'll give money. And Americans are really good at doing that. And that's cool. We should be in first in first Timothy six. It says that we are to be generous and ready to share on every occasion, meaning to live with an open handed life. To say, man, yeah, when I see needs and stuff, I'm going to be open handed with what what God's given me and I'm going to be spontaneously generous. That's really cool. Americans are great at that. I think that's awesome. What we're not so great at is really the major teaching on generosity in the Bible. And that is not sporadic generosity, but systematic generosity or planned generosity to say, hey, I actually have a plan for how I am investing God's resources in his work in the world, because that's what he's asked me to do. And, I th- and for anybody who wants to be generous, planned generosity is way more effective than just sporadic generosity. But for a Jesus follower, this is not optional. I mean, if we really are going to follow Jesus, it means I'm going to follow Jesus in every, every area of my life, including the financial area of my life. And which means if you're a follower of Jesus and you really are following Jesus in this area of life, you'll be able to answer the question, what is your generosity plan for how you are investing in God's work in the world through his church? What's your plan? What does that look like? And you and I should be able to answer that question. And we will be able to answer that question if we're following Jesus in that area of life. Now, you don't have to follow Jesus in that area of life. I'll still love you. You know, God will love you. Your mom will love you. But if you're following Jesus, that'll be that's just one of those things that, you know, I want to honor God with all my life. I want to follow him in all my life. And when we do that, it is better. He always leads to a better way. So it's a first part of a, a generosity system is, hey, it's planned. It's not just sporadic. Not only is it planned, it's also priority, meaning as we think about managing God's money, not just spending God's money, not just letting it fly. It's otherwise known as a budget. We say, okay, giving is part of that. But the priority part is, according to the New Testament, Old Testament and New Testament, it should be the priority of our budget. Like it should drive our financial life, not just sort of be at the end of our financial life if we have something left over, but actually the first of our financial life. That's why he says on the first day of every week, it's not just, hey, wait to the end of the week, see what you have left over. It's no, and throughout the Old and New Testament, That's one of the most significant 
refrains that's repeated over and over again that if you want to honor God financially with this area of life, you give from the top, not from the end. It's the first line item in a budget. It's not, hey, if I have something left over, I'll do that. So, for example, there's a lot of verses like this, but Proverbs 3 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. They, as we're going to see in, a, in several different passages, God responds to generosity. But the kind of re- response that or, or the kind of generosity he responds to is honoring the Lord. How? By giving off the first fruits. Now, this was a farming culture. You and I, most of you are not farmers, um, but they were a farming culture, right? So they would in the harvest. That's when they would get a lot of their resources, a lot of their money. And he says, hey, rather than just taking the first fruits and cashing it in. Take the first fruits and give it to God, meaning it's the first of a budget, the first line out of a budget, what leads our budget, not kind of the leftovers. Malachi three talks about that, too, it says, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me, meaning do you really have the guts to rob God. If you're going to rob somebody, that's probably not the one to rob. Because he knows. Right. And, and why would you? But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You were under a curse, he tells the nation at the time, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me, meaning I've given you money to invest for my purposes, just like meeting with my financial planner. Right. I've, if he just spends it on other stuff, I'm like, hey, you can't do that. That's fraud. <laughs> you, that's and that's what God is saying. I've given you this for this purpose and you're fraudulent. You're using my money for things that are not the things to use it for. You're robbing me. How am I robbing you, say? And he says, well, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. It's the only time in the Bible that we're told, we'll come back to that, told to test God. But he says, just give, give, well, he goes on in, in, in uh, Malachi 3 to say, hey, look, you're not giving the first fruits. You're not giving the whole tithe. You're holding back. You're giving the leftovers. And, he say, and actually, after a while, he says, don't even bother. If that's your heart, if you're just going to, you know, instead of being generosity focused and honoring me with the first fruits, if you're just going to kind of give leftovers and all, don't even bother. I don't need it. Doesn't honor me. Make it a priority of budget. Now, when you think about that, you know, there's only so many ways to use money, right? You can. Spend it. Uh, you can pay taxes with it. In fact, you should. You better pay taxes with it. That'll catch up with you. Pay debt with it. That'll also catch up with you if you don't. So, you know, eventually you got to do that. Save it. Bible talks a lot about that. Good thing to do. Um, by the way, we've saved more as a nation in the pandemic than any other time in our history. Uh, we weren't so good at that before. In 2000s, we had a negative savings rate. Uh, the average American saved minus 1.7% a year. <laughs> That's not a good financial plan, uh, by the way. Um, or give it. Give it to people, give it to God, give it to the poor, give it to whatever, right? Those are the things you can do. And most Americans, most American Christians kind of do it in this order. They spend it, pay t- And if there's anything, the give it is kind of at the bottom. If there's something left over, well, they'll, you know, yeah, let's give some. And what God is saying is, no, be a, be generosity driven, not spend driven. It's OK to enjoy things, it's OK to consume things, but don't let that drive your financial life. 
Just reverse the order. Put give it at the first, and that's what honors God. That's priority. Well, then you say, well, if I'm going to give the first part of it, then what part of it do I give? How much do I give? It's a great question. In fact, ask the question, how much do I give? Yeah, thank you. Um, good question. And, and, uh, and what he says is give a portion in 1 Corinthians 16. Give a sum or a better translation is portion or even percentage, meaning there's like a pie. There's different portions. He says give a portion. Give a percentage and have a plan. Know what you're going to give. Make it the first percentage. Make it a priority. Come ready to do that. So it is a portion. It is a percentage. Well, then you say, well, what percentage? What portion should I give? That's a great question. Um, Throughout the Bible, there is a a very key word that helps answer that question. We've already said it a couple of times in the passage we we, we read. uh, And that's the word tithe. And if you've been around church, if you've been around Christians, you've probably heard the word tithe. In fact, we use that word very loosely to talk about just giving to church, especially I tithe to my church. And so you might have somebody say something like this. Oh, I tithe. Yeah, I tithe to my church. I tithe $50 a month to Chase Oaks and I, I'm regular. You know, I, I you know, tithe $50 a month. That's probably a very loose way to talk about tithing. Now, I'm no math whiz. Remember, I was educated in Alabama. Uh, math was never my favorite subject. I made good grades because I was the kind of person that, for whatever reason, it's actually wasn't that healthy, but was really motivated to make good grades. But I didn't enjoy math. That was not my favorite thing. I just did what I had to do to make the grade. So I'm not a math genius. My dad, he was in that category, not me. Um, but I think I'm right on this, that if you tithe $50 a month, that works. If you make $6,000 a year, because a tithe literally means a tenth, it's 10%. That is what a tithe is. So to say I tithe or I tenth, you know, $50 a month. Well, again, if you make $6,000 a year, then you tithe. But probably, right, most people make more. They're not tithe. They're regularly giving, which is cool. But that's not the same thing as a tithe. And in the Old Testament, it was mandated. You tithe. In fact, there were multiple tithes in the Old Testament. Some years there were three tithes. You gave the 30%. Some years it was 10%. Some years 20%, depending on their calendar. But it was mandated you tithe. Other forms of generosity in the Old Testament were there too. Corners of the field to leave and all this other stuff. It was the Old, the Old Testament Israel, God's people in the Old Testament, is the most radically generous culture in history if people did what God wanted. And it was mandated. Now, right now, mandate's kind of a... That's a unique word right now, right? Mandates. People get nervous already talking about mandates and should you have mandates or not. And I, you know, I don't care what you think about mandates. I, I love you whether you think we should have certain kind of mandates or not have certain kind of mandates. I love you. Jesus loves you. Like I said, your mother loves you. I'm all good. I'm not talking about that kind of mandate. But in the Old Testament, that was, all that stuff was mandated, generosity. It was part of the law. In the New Testament, we're no longer under the law. It's not about mandated generosity. Got to give 10% or some years 30% and do all that. It's we're not under the law anymore. Now we're in an age of grace where there's leeway, where we make decisions about what am I going to do with my money or God's money. And it's not just that simple of saying, well, it tithes 10%. That is the kind of the starting point going into the New Testament, the benchmark going into the New Testament. Um, but as Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, it's really realizing, hey, it's not just 10% is God's, 90% is mine. It's, it's all God's. 
And therefore, how am I going to give and how much am I going to give? Ten percent is a great place to be a benchmark to start. For some people, it's too, too little. Some people, it's too much. It is a good starting point to talk about. Then you think, well, wait a minute. If there's leeway, then how do I decide? Like what percentage And the Bible helps us with that in Second Corinthians? It gives us some things to think about. Um, the first thing, one thing to consider, Second Corinthians eight twelve, is our ability. What is our ability right now? He says, for if the willingness, meaning is your heart's there, you want to be generous, you want to give the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Meaning for some people. They have a lot of ability and 10 percent's way too small for other people where they're at right now. There's no way they can do that. Um, certainly, if if you're living off 120 percent to even just get to 100 percent of not going into debt or even just I mean, that's a those are big steps. A lot of people can't just start with I'm going to start giving 10 percent away or whatever. But it's still a good benchmark to think about. But ability is something to consider. I remember um, this was a while back now, meeting a UTD college student in our church. Uh, she's not in college anymore, but she was then. And she was like, and she was in tears because we had talked about, you know, giving and, and, a, and a benchmark at Chase Oaks. We talk about sometimes it's 10, 10, 80 is a, a plan that a lot of us have adopted to say, I'm going to give 10%, save 10%, live on the rest, 80%. And she was and, and I tried to make it clear that about flexibility, but I guess I didn't. And she she was like teary. And she said, I really want to honor God with my resources. But I don't know how to get to 10 percent in giving because and then she started telling me about her whole budget. And she's completely on her own in college. No parental help because of different things that went on with her family and uh, totally on her own, working three jobs. And she's and she was telling me how much, you know, how much she's doing. And, uh, and she's able to work out four percent. And that's what she gives every month. She gives four percent. And I said, look, you're like way ahead of almost every Christian in this country. I mean, there are some who are, you know, do more than that. And that's really cool and, and get to that level. But your intentionality, trust me, God's honored by what you're doing. You don't, you have anything to be ashamed of by what you, I mean, that's, that's really, really cool. Um, other people I know, their ability level is totally different. And I've mentioned that. I, I have a couple of friends that give away 90%. They're reverse tithers. And that'd be fun. And they, well, and it is fun. They have a blast doing that. Obviously, their income is pretty high to do that. Uh, high enough, they could have houses all over the world. But instead, they give to stuff all over the world. And they're having a ball. So ability is one thing to consider. Another thing to consider is your heart. It, uh, is cheerfulness. That God loves a cheerful giver. That's what he says. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give. Don't give because I tell you to give. I'm, I'm not God. Uh, you decide in your heart. You pray about it. You talk to God what he wants you to do. That, it's his money, not my money. And in terms of where to give it, you know, don't talk to me about it. Talk to God about it. Do what he said. It, so he says, has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Our heart matters a lot to him. And therefore, it would be better to give less cheerfully than to give more and be grumpy about it. So if you can give 2%, be cheerful, that's better than 20% and be all upset about it. Be correct. God's like, you know what? Your heart's not ready for that. As we grow, as God changes us, he'll grow our heart. 
But cheerfulness is something to consider as we're considering that. And then the last thing to think about is God's response. How generous do we want God to be to us? How much of his, how much of his financial involvement and enablement in our life do we want? This is one of those things that is sometimes uh, manipulated and all that, but it is true. Here's what Paul says. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly, meaning invests or gives sparingly, will also reap sparingly, receive sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And God is able to make all grace, which, which is enablement, abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Meaning when we decide to be generosity driven, that engages God's enablement in our life. Just like in a, if I'm choosing a financial planner, I'm going to choose one that invests in things that multiply and make it grow rather than somebody who just says, hey, thanks for the money. I'm going to go spend it. Right. And and that's what God is saying. I'm you know, he's going to enable those who are following him in this area of life. And you and I get to decide how generous do we want God to be. And it's based in part on our own generosity. So when you put all that together to say, man, I I really want this part of life to matter. I don't want to just be consumption driven. You know, I always think of the Pac-Man thing. Um, every time I think about this, I probably talk about that a lot when I talk about this, but you know, with all the dots, a lot of you are like, what's Pac-Man? I know, but, uh, you know, the little thing, the little dots, TV, you know, wonka, 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 wonka. And it can be so much like that where you just think thing after thing after thing. We probably all have something that we want to buy right now. I do. And uh ski helmet, um, for me and I'll get us and it'll be something else after that. And it's just so easy to go. Wonka, 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 wonka. And, and that really control our whole life. And that just gets to, Eventually, right? It doesn't get to anywhere as opposed to being generosity driven. And when we choose to live in a plan, priority, percentage way, you don't have to. But if we choose to, there's a lot of good things that happen. For one, we honor God. But we also invite God's enablement into our financial life. If we're just consumption driven, God's like, you know what? Good luck with that. But once we become generosity driven, he's like, okay. That's interesting. That's somebody I can enable. That's somebody because there he enables obedience. We also have peace and joy in an area of life that can bring a lot of anxiety and regret. Because when we just let money fly and we're loose with money, it's hard to be at peace with it. It's so easy to get into money trouble. And same way with joy. When we look back and we know that we've been wise enough to save and we've been we just spend it all. And we've been generous with what he's given us. We can see how we're making a difference in the world. Then we can look back with joy. And that's why the happiest people I know are the most generous people. It's just those two things go together. And so here's my encouragement. This is not easy to do. But as we near a year, end of a year and go to a new year, it's a great time to evaluate. Now, I don't know many people who love evaluating budgets and all that kind of some of you do sick people. But I don't. I don't like that. But it's always a good thing to do from time to time to say, God, I really this is your money. It's not my money. And I want to do it well. And I really want to be a generosity driven person. So just if you're married, talk about it. Have a conversation. If you're single, talk about it with a friend. Certainly pray about it because it's God's money and just say, how what is our plan? And certainly as a Jesus follower, we will have a plan. We'll be able to answer the question. 
This is what drives my financial life. This is my giving plan and how I'm involved in what God is doing in the world and how he's using me to resource because that's how God does it. And that's this is what this is my plan. This is what I do. We'll be able to answer that question. And the other big thing that happens when we do that is God responds to it. God responds, as we hinted at earlier, generosity to generosity. He kind of waits to see what we do. That's why Malachi 3, we read earlier, he says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven, pour out so much blessing, you will not have room enough for it. Other other times in the Bible, we're told, do not put the Lord your God to the test. This is the one time where God says, you know what, this time do it. Put me to the test. Start giving, he says. Start giving, be generosity driven. Start doing what I tell you. Just honor me with this part of life. Give in a plan, pride, your percentage way. And just see what I do. There's all these 40-day challenges, you know, things like that. It's just God's like, you know what? Do the 40-day challenge. Do the 80-day challenge. Just start to give and see if I don't respond. Only time we're told to do that. Now, again, this is one of those things in the Bible that, it, that a lot of people manipulate. TV preachers. The Bible talks about those people who manipulate the Bible for personal gain. And the Bible, that's a unique form of evil. And I'm not talking about that. It's not what I'm trying to do. And some of you right now are thinking, see, the preacher's talking about money. He's trying to get my money. I told you if we came to church, they're just trying about your money. And if you can't give cheerfully to church, don't. It's not about that. It's about be, be generous somewhere. I mean, a lot of us are here. We happily give to Chase Oaks because this is our church and this is what God is using. And, that, and all that. It's the favorite part of our budget for Christy and me. But our heart's there. If your heart's not there, give where you can give cheerfully, right? That's part of it. Another verse, Jesus said the same thing. Give and it will be given to you by God. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, measure of generosity you use, it will be measured to you. Now, everybody listening to Jesus would know what he's talking about, because at least every week, a lot of times every day, they would go to the market and they would get grain so that they could make bread. And you would take a measure and you would take a basket and you would pay by the measure. And so you would go to whoever was selling grain for your bread and you would give them the measure. And most people would just kind of dip it in there and then pour it into your basket. But a really generous, conscientious seller would would not do that. They would shake it and tamp it down right to get the air out. And then they would put more in. And they would keep doing that over and over again. I'm going to make a big mess on the stage. That's my job. And then, uh, and, and that's a lot more, right? That's about 20% more. And he'd be like, oh man, thank you. But he's saying, no, God will do that. But he'll do more than that because God's more generous than we are. That he won't just tamp it down, but God will make it overflow. And he'll make it overflow so much that he'll drop it in your lap. Which sounds like a bad thing, like, stop, don't put it in my lap. What he's talking about is they wore tunics, like they wore an outer thing like this. So if you picture my shirt as that, it was like an everyday toga party back then. How fun was life 2,000 years ago? 
And so they would have this toga kind of thing. And what he's saying is that it's pouring over so much. It pours over your basket that he starts pouring it into your toga, pouring it into your lap. And it's just like overflowing. And so you're walking away with all this. But that's what God will be will match our generosity only much more so that you and I will never out generous God. But he will measure his generosity based on our generosity. And some people, most people, use a teaspoon. God says, okay, I'll work with that. Some people use a cup. A few people are smart enough to use a bucket. But it's our choice. God responds generosity to generosity. And not only that, one day, which is the point of this series... You and I will stand before God if we know Jesus in heaven. There'll be this judgment called the Bema Seat Judgment. And our reward for all eternity will be based on our faithfulness with everything we've been given, not just our money, our time, our gifts and abilities, our our uh, power, our influence. It's not it's not for us. It's for others. It's for his work in the world. That's the idea of stewardship. Is that we're not owners of what we have, but managers of what we have asked to invest for his purposes. That's our privilege. And he will reward us like he's generously for all that we do. Now, think about that moment. Just project yourself into the future. At that moment, standing before God. Because at that moment, things will be really, really clear about priorities, about what's most important. And I know for me, I'm like, I, I sometimes I just think, OK, if the Jeff there, future Jeff at that judgment, what would future Jeff say to Jeff right now? About the way I'm spending my life and my resources. And I know what future Jeff would say So you big dummy. What are you doing? Do you not realize like this is real, like this is signal, like remember what's important and remember it's not yours. It's God's to invest And that's a challenge to me as I reevaluate what God's given me. Maybe it'll be a challenge to you, too, but it's certainly one we can go to God with because he really wants what's best for us in this area of life. And it's so easy to have the value of generosity. But what God says, let me enable you to actually live out that value. So with that in mind, let's bow our heads together in prayer. And God, I do, first of all, thank you for your generosity to us because you chose to give everything. And all that we have is yours. And I thank you that you love for us to enjoy what we've been given to your glory. We're told to do that. Nothing wrong with that. We're also told to invest it for your purposes. And God, we just want to know. Just speak in our hearts and lives. What do you want us to do? How are we doing? And what would it look like for us to give in a more intentional way, to invest in your kingdom in a much more intentional way, the resources that you've given in a plan, priority, percentage way? And God, I pray right now, too, for those who are just struggling, who need your provision. God, I pray that you would provide. I pray for those who in their home right now, there's just a lot of financial tension because there's disagreement in the home about money. 
And God, I pray that you'd bring the ability to communicate, the ability to understand each other, ability to love each other, move to a healthier place. And I pray for all of us that you just help us to be good stewards of what you've given us to invest. In Jesus' name, amen.